Welcome to the Dental Marketing Secrets Podcast, where we provide insight and feedback on what's working right now in the world of dental marketing so that you can grow your practice, serve more patients, and leave a greater impact in the end. I'm your host, Mark Thackeray. Hello again. Welcome back to another episode of the Dental Marketing Secrets Podcast, where we provide you with actionable tips, tactics, and strategy to help you grow your practice so that you can serve more patients and ultimately leave a greater impact because that's what it's all about, my friends. My name is Mark Thackeray, and I'm just grinning ear to ear. So excited to be here with you today. Another glorious day here in the early part of uh, March. And I just wrapped up a a fantastic conversation with Bill Barrett and Justin Bauman, where we get into the ins and outs of successfully navigating a dental practice transition. Okay, there are so many details to consider when you're going through that process. And we get into many of them in this conversation. If you don't, let me introduce our two guests in in case you're not familiar with them. Uh, William Barrett, is the CEO of the law firm Mandelbaum Salzburg. He's also the co-chair of the firm's National Dental Law Center. And we talk about that on the show. He's also the author of the book Buy, Sell, Merge, which is a fantastic book. It's one that I own and have read. And this book is is really neat. If If you haven't heard about it, definitely go check it out. It dives into the world of practices, sales, or excuse me, purchases, sales, and partnerships. Uh, specifically for dentists. And over the past two decades, Bill has been, he's received all sorts of praise from all across the country. He's been heralded as the, as one of a kind, the lawyer who can see around corners and has helped quarterback hundreds of successful dental practice transitions across the country. I think it's up over a thousand now. In addition to advising on M&A transactions, Bill serves as an outside general counsel to many dental industry clients, advising on things like contracts, employment laws, retention programs and agreements, as well as business succession and tax planning. Joining Bill is uh, Justin Bauman, who comes to us from uh, DDS Match with over a decade of dental industry experience as a manufacturing representative for companies like Cavo. Ivo Clark, Viva Dent, and Air Techniques. And as a DDS match professional, Justin represents doctors in the territory of upstate New York, Western Pennsylvania area. He, Justin is also a former officer in the United States Navy and was a national champion rower at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, which is super cool. In his spare time, he enjoys outdoor activities, including hunting, fishing, and gardening. He is also a member of the Lions Club and the Knights of Columbus. He and his wife reside in Lockport, New York, in one of the oldest original homesteads in Niagara County. And really, I just I, I, I loved this conversation. There's so many takeaways uh, from what we talk about uh, in terms of we, we dive into building out your board of directors, all these trusted professionals that can help guide you and assist you in this process. It is a lengthy process and something that you will likely only go through once or twice in your career. Some, maybe a few more, but for the vast majority It is a once in a lifetime experience and you want to make sure that you're doing it right. (laughs) That is one of the takeaways from this conversation. Uh, Before I just share it all, let's just, let's dive into the interview with Bill and Justin, and you're going to want to grab a pen and paper. Uh, You're going to love this one. All right, you guys. Well, welcome to the show. I've got Justin Bauman and Bill Barrett with me today on the podcast. Very excited to have them both. Justin, how are you? I'm well. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for having me. Yeah, excited to have you. And Bill, how are you? I'm doing great, Mark. Thanks. Really appreciate being on with you. You bet. You bet. We've got a great topic that we're going to be talking about. Uh, we're going to dive into what it's what it looks like to navigate a, a dental practice transition and how to do that successfully. I've got two of the best uh, people that we could talk to, really. And so I'm really eager to dive into this. But first, before we get get into it, why don't you each take a minute? And let's start with you, Bill. Just Take a minute or two and, and give us a little bit about, tell us a little bit about your experience. Sure. So I've been uh, practicing law. I'm, you know, I'm a licensed attorney. I've been practicing law in the space, doing mergers and acquisitions in dental and dental specialty practices for about 23 years. Uh, and in that time frame, I've participated in 
around a thousand practice transitions, give or take. Uh, so that would be purchasing practices, selling practices, merging them together, associate or partner uh, buy-in type transactions. Um, and you know, during that time period, um, we've built up uh, here at our firm uh, what we call the, the the National Dental Law Center, and we for, you know provide services for clients in this space all over the United States. Uh, and we have a whole team that I run um, that you know that is in this space. And um, you know, over the years, it's just become a real niche area for us. And as you know, I I published a book on the subject matter. Uh, about a year and a half ago. Oh, there it is. Yeah, got it right here. <laughs> so yeah, so thrilled to be here and happy to uh, you know share experiences and um, you know look look forward to the conversation. Excellent, excellent, Justin. Let's hear let's hear a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Ken. Yeah, so I'm a former military officer. I was in the Navy for about five years, and after that, uh, got into uh, the manufacturing side of sales uh, in the dental industry. So I've been in the dental industry now about twelve years. And uh, recently made a, a good change over to the, uh, the brokering side. And again, uh, not just any broker uh, with DDS Match. DDS Match does things a little bit differently uh, uh, in the market. And, and again, a couple of things. Just one, we're, we're great in transparency. We're great in relationships. And we're great in technology. So there's a couple of aspects in which we do things a little bit differently. And, uh, and again, I hold myself to a little bit higher integrity than I think that a lot of the other brokers that are out there. So yeah, just doing us a good service. And, and again, I'm looking forward to the conversation and seeing what we can come up with here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Bill, I'm going to pick on you first. So, so as once you, when you're getting into the, the industry, I mean, you, you mentioned uh, just barely that you, you helped create the National Dental Law Center. So what, what was it like uh, in the industry before that, before that step and what prompted you to make that, uh, take that initiative? Yeah. So, you know, where we thought there was an, an opportunity or an opening is that our experience was we're, we're a little bit different. You know, our firm has been in business over 90 years now. Um, and between lawyers and staff, I employ about 160 people. So we have a full service platform. And what that means is, you know, we have attorneys, not, not only that specialize in the area, but within it, um, we do corporate, we do real estate, business transactions, employment law matters, tax matters, whatever comes up. In, the, in a transaction or in the life of, of a doctor. So the way it came about was we were finding that in most deals that we would do, we would find that the sophistication of the, of the counsel on the opposite side of the transaction was generally less than what we were, were offering or, or providing. A lot of times they were small practitioners um, as opposed to full service platforms and firms. Um, all too often, it was the the cousin, the brother-in-law, right. the sister-in-law of, of the doctor, and you know, doing them a favor. So you'd be on a transaction to buy or sell a practice, and you'd find out that the attorney on the other side was uh, a matrimonial lawyer who you know who was now doing this transaction, and you know, we had done you know scores of them, and, and this was the first and only one they'd ever done in their their career. So we felt that. Um, that doctors were generally underserved by their profession. So our whole pitch to the profession and the community was, you know, in the life of a doctor, you may do this once or twice or a couple of times. Right. And shouldn't you surround yourself with the absolute best team possible, as opposed to, um, you know, trying to save a small amount of money or, or just kind of go with someone who you knew, but isn't necessarily an expert. So, that was the premise by which we we launched this, and um, and it's been incredibly well received. You know, very often we get those calls. Hey, I have a lawyer that I'm actually very close with that's done a lot for me over the years, but this isn't their area of expertise. And, right. and sometimes in those cases, we we work with those attorneys, and you know, we don't look to kick them to the curb. We'll we'll say, look, you know, we'll handle the transaction, and and when this matter is done, if you want to continue to use your prior local attorney, that's, you know, there's no issue with that. But that's what we thought was the need in the community. And so far, you know, what we've seen over the last 20 plus years is that we are filling that need. And, and as this practice continues to grow exponentially, um, I think, you know, it's proven out that our, our theory of what the market needed turned out to be accurate. Yeah, exactly right. And we can, that applies in all the different industries. I mean, you mentioned uh, certainly as an attorney, but also I see that as a marketer, 
you know, helping dental, the dental industry specifically, I can bring so many different things to the table that just a general marketer can't do because I have experience in the industry. And same with you, Justin, in, in the real estate side, um, that's the exact same way, I imagine. We, yeah, we run into that problem all the time. And, and again, the, my biggest concern is kind of what uh, Billy just mentioned is when I do get into a transaction that we have dental specific uh, professionals that are working with us. Uh, like he had mentioned, uh, there's nothing worse than say their their favorite divorce, divorce attorney, attorney wanting to help in an M&A transition or something like that. It's just, it just drives us all a little batty. Uh, so again, uh, my biggest uh, assets are my professionals. So my you know, dental specific CPAs, dental specific attorneys that again, uh, obviously Bill and I had this conversation just yesterday that one of my clients is thinking of using their uh, personal attorney in the transition. And, yeah. and luckily he said, well, of course he, he's willing to, you know, to work with that, 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 you know, local attorney as well as be the, the guiding light there. I say that's needed in the, in the transition. So uh, yeah, we definitely see it every day and without having, you know, professionals on, on both sides of the fence, it'll make things a whole lot more uh, challenging in the transaction. So. Yeah, there's just so many things that you don't realize that you don't understand if you're not, you know, knee deep in the in the industry. And so, and and really, that's that's kind of the whole um, foundation of this conversation is is understanding that from when you're when you are transitioning your practice, whether that's whether you're purchasing or selling, uh, merging, uh, just understanding that there's there's a lot of nuance there, and having that right team in place. Can, it can it has a dramatic effect on the outcome of of that transition. So let's let's talk a little bit about that. When, talk to me about how the team members and, and Justin, you were just talking about that. Who is this? I mean, you guys have a dream team assembled essentially of people that you trust and that you work with and you collaborate with on a regular basis. Who is on that team? And what should if I'm a practice owner, who should I be looking to to assemble my own a similar team when I'm going through a transition? No, why don't you take that? I know it's a, a chapter in one of your books there. So, yeah. <laughs> well, we can collaborate on this, uh, like just like we do on a transaction. Uh, you know, I always tell people look at your team kind of like your um, your board of directors, right? And a lot of a lot of times, doctors don't think of themselves because they're professionals. They don't think of themselves in the true sense as business owners and entrepreneurs, but but they are. Um, right. And you know. It starts with obviously having a great dental specific accountant, you know, that really understands your your business. Um, and obviously, you know, not self-servingly, but obviously, you know, you want an attorney that has the, the expertise in your profession. I'm also a very big believer that one of those key trusted advisors um, should be a banker. Okay. Because, you know, you always throughout your career, you want to have a great relationship with a banker. Uh, you don't know whether you're going to be buying another practice or acquiring a practice that maybe folds in or, or at some point refinancing existing debt, but having access to capital and, and a relationship where you can pick up the phone and make the call and get a decision maker to, to help you um, is, is very, very important. Uh, I also um, think that, um, you know, in terms of like your insurance, you should have an insurance professional that understands your business, your particular risks. The thing what people don't realize about insurance professionals is depending on the agency you use, they have access to different markets. So not every single agent has access to all the same underwriters. That's it's a there's a lot of different issues that impact that the volume of business that they do in a particular space. You know, so it can, you know, for example, if I'm a general contractor, um, there's agencies that have a lot of expertise in representing general contractors and they have right. access to more markets. Same thing in, in dental and dental specialty. So, and then of course, you know, and Justin should talk about this, the importance <laughs> of having a relationship with a broker as one of your advisors is, is in my book and, and a critical thing. I think, and Justin should speak to that. No problem. Yeah. And exactly. We get into conversations you know, quite often and, uh, and again, uh, Bill and I had the same conversation literally yesterday about, you know, the, the price of what it sometimes takes to transition a practice. You know, again, it's, it's going to be something that most dentists are only going to do once in their life. So it's very important that you have the right professionals and the right professionals usually are not going to be inexpensive. So, uh, you know, again, I'll have a, a, you know, daily conversations with dentists that are looking into transition. And, and you know, when, when the fee part comes up, that's when they, they start balking a little bit. But again, it, it does come down to having experience in the industry and really understanding what each step does and where it transitions. We call it 
our, you know, our, you know, our transition process, uh, our trusted transition process, that is. And, and it is, it, it, it's, it's a different way of looking at the transition and each step is very important. And, and again, uh, if, if a dentist is, is about to take that on and still try to practice, uh, it'll drive themselves quite, uh, quite insane actually, because the amount of time and effort it takes to do this stuff on a daily basis, um, that's literally what they hire me to do is, is be there everything. And, and that's what I do. You know, I'm chasing between the attorneys, the CPAs and the bankers and making sure everybody gels in the middle, uh, come closing time. So. Again, the nuances are, are, are numerous. And, and again, to, to go through each one of them, of course, would be like went through a, an actual transition. But it, it's, uh, <laughs> uh, it, it's crazy. And, and, and again, the, the key is to, to have me do that for them and take that level of stress off them while they can still continue to practice. Um, because as we'll talk about maybe a little bit later, the pitfalls of, of a transition is when a dentist's uh, revenues start to decline. So we, we never want that to happen. We want to keep those up and running as the practice transitions. Yeah. And, and, I, and we didn't rehearse this, but a shameless plug for Justin. Um, you know, I am a big believer and, uh, and, and again, I, I, I think I make mention of it in, in the book that you will save money in the end when you engage in transactions, you will save money on your professional fees, um, and have a much higher likelihood of success when, when you have a good broker representing your interests or helping you. And there's absolutely no question having kind of literally done near a thousand transitions Many of many of those deals did not have any brokers involved, and there is a marked difference between a deal that has a, a really excellent broker involved, helping facilitate, iron out problems, negotiate. Um, you know, remember your professionals, especially your attorneys, when you do a deal, can once a party is represented, they can only talk to the other attorney. You know, whereas a broker can talk to everybody and can and can work out the issues and and take things that are becoming problems and smooth them out before they become problems. So, you know, the value is really incredible. And, and um, you know, I, I think that it's, it's one of the reasons why I mentioned the importance of a, of a broker as part of your team. Um, and, and the last person on, on our, on our list, so to speak, as your member of board directors is a practice management consultant or coach. Um, I'm a big believer in, in practice management consultant. In, in, in all professions, whether you're a lawyer, whether you're own a marketing company, you know, business coaches, people that help you get better at what you do and, and help you improve your deliverable and your customer service and all the things that you do to create a unique experience for your client or your patient. Um, you know, that's a very valuable thing too. And, and um, I, I noticed that in the practices I represent, those who have really excellent practice management coaches or consultants that they've worked with for, for a while, the caliber and quality of their practices, the size and profitability of their practices is generally much higher. Yeah. Well, and speaking of coaches, I, I have a business coach and something that he said that's this exact concept that you're, you're just describing right now is he says, who, not how, you know, you employ this idea of who, not how, where you're, where you aren't the one to try and shoulder all of those responsibilities. So if it's during a, a transition, you're not trying to go and seek out, oh yes. You mean and, this coach? Yes, <laughs> I love that book. I love that book. It's so, so powerful. Just yeah. that whole concept that you can go so much farther if you are if you have the right team in place as opposed to trying to go it alone. And no I, I think people are, do you feel like people are starting to warm up to that idea more as, as, as uh, you know, practice owners, as, as doctors? Do you feel like they're, they're able to see to catch that vision a little bit more than than rather than just I'm going to try and save some money is kind of their initial thought maybe and and go it alone. I guess that all depends. I mean, if you look at it from uh, a retiring dentist point of view, they are you know a little bit more stubborn. They they come from a different line of of a generation where uh, you know again it was okay to go alone sometimes. Uh, but the key is is again having the ability to to have that really frank conversation with them. And, and sit down and, and tell them what that process is going to be like without uh, somebody like myself, a broker or, or a professional like, like Bill himself. Like, because, again, it just will make their lives that much simpler in the overall transition. And as Bill mentioned, uh, less expensive because if they start with their uh, personal attorney that doesn't have any M&A experience and then all of a sudden decide that, oh, geez, there's an area which uh, I don't quite understand and then have to get right. Bill involved. Then we're talking about two different paychecks that have to go out as, instead of one from the beginning. So all these little, again, nuances is going to be a really uh, common word today that uh, really add up. 
So mm-hmm. I, think, yeah. I think that's right. And I, I think the business challenges for, for our doctors today are frankly different than they were. Um, those who stand for the preservation of private practice dentistry understand that there are new challenges and that to be successful as a private practitioner, your competition, the um, impact of DSOs on, on, right. on the marketplace, you know, you have to be business savvy. You have to be uh, customer or, or patient-centric, service-oriented, um, and you have to know how to play the business game the way it's being played today as a doctor. And so I think um, the, the modern-day practitioner is uh, the, those who are successful are getting that. They're understanding that they need every advantage um, that they can get to, to compete. And, you know, frankly, it, I'm not saying it was, you know, easy, but it was a lot easier, you know, 20, 30 years ago to just be a, an independent practitioner um, and kind of follow the role of whoever your mentor was and continue right. along. But things are definitely changing between technology and, and the challenges that are out there and the expectations of the consumer, the expectations of your patient are, are greater and different than they used to be. So. You know, these are all the reasons why practice management um, consultant can be very valuable as a member of that team as well. Yeah, absolutely. Let's I would love to dive into a few a few more examples of where this team can really, you know, whether it's saving you time or saving you money or really just preventing you from falling into a common pitfall. Uh, you know, if you take as a broker, Justin, and I'll have and Bill, you think about this, too, as, a, as an attorney, what are some of those? Uh, those those common mistakes that you see practices make as they're going through a transition that could have been easily avoided had they worked with someone as experienced as as either one of you. Yeah, I, I think the the biggest the biggest and most important thing that a doctor needs to do is really plan, uh, and, and I mean that simply uh, that three to five year plan, because if they're they're going to be you know getting into a transition and you're looking at it say uh, you know a year out all these things build up, dare I say. Uh, and when I say things, I mean, again, by the time they, they probably decide and they're a year out, maybe their health isn't as good as it used to be. Um, maybe we talk about um, the actual revenues of the practice. They want to work three days right. instead of five days. So all those little, little things really add up on the biggest asset of their life. So in other yeah. words, when they try to transition or they try to also move into their retirement, they realize that that practice that they thought was worth a lot of money is no longer worth what it used to be. So it's really important that three to five years out of, of the transition that a doctor gets a hold of somebody like me, we have different programs in which we can work with. And then, uh, of course, like uh, uh, Bill had mentioned, uh, the practice management people as well, they can help come in and help to really amp up that practice prior to a, a yes. sale. And that's essential. It's flat out essential because, again, those are some huge pitfalls, um, and especially with COVID. Let's talk about COVID for a second. Um, you know, you got the two, day, the two months uh, at least of revenues in which there was zero. So um, you're already coming at this at a, at a little different aspect than any other dentist that has sold prior to COVID. So right. all these these things that have kind of added up are, are definitely uh, just the negatives that continue to, to to go forward as 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 we you know we we broach this new world, I guess you'd say. And uh, yeah, I, I, Bill's got you know plenty of, of flat out horror stories of people that have not uh, thought about these things up front and then just you know try to dive in on on their on their own. And and again, it's it's just it's unwarranted put it that way because we, we can help put it that way yeah, yeah. and that's and that's the challenge that i see is you know i see this in in a lot of different industries it's not just dental but you know you get so mired in what you're doing on a day-to-day basis and and you get you're just going you're just responding you're reacting and you're not strategically planning for the future and so when you get to that point you may you may down the line have this vision okay yeah three years left this is what it's going to look like one year one year left before time this is what it's going to look like but you haven't really taken those steps to get any closer. And so it, it, you can, it's so easy to allow, guess what I'm trying to say is so easy to allow time to just creep up on you there. And so it's a great point, just you have to carve out time to do that. Otherwise it's just gonna, yeah, you're just gonna end up with <laughs> what you get kind of right at that time. Like life insurance, nobody really wants to talk about it. But you know, again, uh, when we talk about estate planning through a dentist, uh, that's very important as well. What if unexpectedly they passed away and then uh, their, their family, their their wife is now scrambling. Uh, well, there's no dentists, right. no revenues coming in. So again, a declining revenue and 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 obviously no revenue coming in in general. So uh, yeah, all those little 
little bits are very important to the process and, and to understanding again how we're going to move forward and, and how that plan can help them get to where they need to be. So, yeah. just point on time, this whole concept of three to five years and planning ahead is is huge in so many ways. He's totally right. Um, and you know, one of the things that doctors rarely think about is the scrutiny that they're going to be under during the due diligence process. Mm -hmm. When someone is interested in buying their practice, they're not used to having, you know, to completely um, reveal and allow someone, so to speak, to, to look under the hood. And, you know, very symptomatic of closely held businesses. Closely held businesses do things um, a little informal sometimes. Um, closely held businesses try their best to to maximize their advantages under the tax code through write-offs and other things that that maybe a a buyer will will question or or look at as an expense, but maybe it's really an expense that can be added back into the value. So a lot of aspects, um, you know, you uh, so very, well, very very nice balancing act there on that one. <laughs> yeah, you want to you want to you know make sure you're preparing in advance. Um, there's so many issues. Like, for example, if they if their real estate where the practice is located is subject to a lease, you know, what does the lease say? What does the lease say about assignment? How much time is left on the lease? Are there options to renew? Problems with the lease can derail a transaction yes. before it even starts. So again, back to Justin's point about you know three to five years out. There's so many reasons. Um, you, you know. Also, depending on who your buyer is, let's say, for example, that you end up selling your practice to a DSO, they will often have a minimum employment requirement of at least three years, sometimes five years. Very important. And that factors in. Wow. So if you, if you wait until you're like, yeah, in one or two years, I want to be done as a practitioner. And now you, just, you start the process. You may find out that your buyers are saying, well, you may be done in a year, but if you want me to pay you know, X dollars for your practice, I need you to commit for at least three years. And now the doctor's saying, oh my God, there's two years longer than right. I want to work. Um, so that there's, and we could, we could do a whole program <laughs> on all the reasons why you need to start early, but it's a great point Justin makes. And there's, there's a lot to think about in, in preparing for a transaction. Yeah, so much. And it's just, again, emphasizing the, reemphasizing the point that you need a team involved. You don't want to ever try and go out this alone or go out this with people that have never done, been in the dental industry before. Um, it's just not worth the time, the frustration, the stress, the headache, and, and ultimately the cost too in the end. So Bill, you talked about, you, you alluded to some due diligence and even shared a couple of examples. Um, share with us, you know, kind of give us an overview of that process so that we, everyone, all the listeners can under, better understand uh, what that looks like and how in-depth that really is. It's not just a, a cursory, okay, here we go, uh, check, checklist that you go through, but it's it's a very comprehensive, deep dive when, when you're doing that due diligence. Yeah, no, it's true. And, and look, how deep the diligence gets will often depend on who the buyer is. You know, um, corporate buyers are, are, are going to engage in an in extremely thorough, deep, process um, because they really don't know any other way to do it, right? So whether they were buying a, you know, $100 million manufacturing company or a $1 million dental practice, they do the, they do it all the same. Yeah. They, they do the due diligence the same. They, they have their lawyers prepare the contracts the same. So you're going to come under a lot of scrutiny, um, you know, financially, they're going to look at it, you know, under every rock. They're going to want to really drill into the practice. They're going to want to understand your payor mix. You know, they're going to want to understand your production mix. You know, who produces what in this practice? What portion of it is is hygiene? They drill down, no pun intended, deeply into the you know the the financial aspects, but also on the legal end. I mentioned the importance of leases and how how much they come into play. They're going to look at. Um, contracts, agreements that you have. For example, you know, do you have an associate working for you? And if so, are there restrictive covenants in place to protect from that associate being able to solicit or compete against the practice after a transaction? I've right. seen deals get completely derailed where a seller has a, an associate. And again, it all ties together. They pull the, the production mix and they say, oh, wow, this associate is actually pretty important in this practice. 
and then they find out the associate doesn't have a restriction or a contract, that could basically wipe out your deal or devalue your practice in and of itself. Wow. So, yeah. um, you know, so a lot of aspects to look at like that. Um, the other thing too is, you know, when you're on the buy side of things and you're engaging in, in due diligence, you have to not only look out for all these same issues from the other angle, but there's other things to watch out for, like buying from a multi-practice operator. You know, there's nuances with that. If you have someone who owns multiple practices, you really got to dig in because, you know, are they co-mingling their books at all? Are, are, are expenses being run through, through the right portals, if you will, for each practice? Are revenues being deposited appropriately? Are patients only visiting in one location or do they visit other locations, which might be a problem post-closing where you might right. lose patients if they're only selling, let's say, one or two of their locations? I mean, again, that that's probably a program within itself just to talk about <laughs> transactions with multi-practice operators. Um, I had a, I had a case and I write about it in the book where where someone in essence committed a fraud. They they wanted to pump up the value of a practice and they had multiple locations. So right. what they did was they made extra deposits in in the practice they wanted to sell to pump up the gross, and then they paid expenses through other yeah, practices for that practice to make the expenses look lower and create a more profitable picture. And it was a fraud. Um, so. The, these are, you know, this is the world we live in. I mean, it does happen sometimes and you don't want to be a person that it happens to. Right. And Justin, would you add anything to that in terms of the due no, diligence? No, I mean, Bill, Bill said a lot there and I agree mm -hmm. 100% with everything he said. But and again, even when I, technically I only represent a seller in a transaction because again, I never want to get uh, the idea of, of kind of undo uh, back and forth, if you will, or a conflict of interest by any way, shape or form. But with that being said, I always um, help the buyer in the process because, again, that helps smooth the, the transition in general. And again, that comes down to referrals of, again, dental-specific CPAs, dental-specific right. attorneys they may not be familiar with. But in the same uh, token, that dental-specific CPA is the one that's probably going to do that uh, that due diligence. And uh, again, making sure that they have the, the right data, um, that's going to reflect back on you. And it's also going to reflect back on the seller. So you want to make sure that they are... Uh, you know, ungodly aware of everything that this this practice is is you know currently um, looking at again revenues and and everything else as the nuances that he mentioned before about associates and if associate associate were to find out um, you know if the transition is going to go through and they end up quitting again that can cause a bunch of problems as well so again all those little details about the due diligence are extremely important and I always highly suggest it because again like I said it always is going to look poorly upon the seller and and obviously me as a broker that represents the seller if uh, uh, it is not taken uh, very seriously, so. Right, well, and I, even just in the 20, 30 minutes that we've been talking, I mean, there's been so many things that have that I've discovered, you know, and so if you're not sure if you're a practice owner and you are considering some type of transition, even just reaching out to someone like Justin or Bill or any one of their their, their company, you know, people in their company, that, that's, that alone will get you so, so much information and put you in a better spot. Um, so thank you so much for sharing. Uh, the last thing that I wanted to, to dive into, and I think this is something that I imagine you get asked a lot, and, but as people are preparing or looking towards a transition, they're always wondering how much is their practice worth? And, and we alluded to it before. And sometimes we think, Justin, you were talking about this specifically, but how, how sometimes we, we, our perception of the value of the practice is way up here, but in reality, you know, it's, it's, the actual value is a lot lower. So let's talk a little bit about that. You know, let's, what is it, what is a practice really worth? No question. Uh, yeah. So there's, you know, obviously about three different methods of practice valuations in general, one being the net asset value method. Um, again, the net asset in general is just basically a breakdown of, of the goodwill and then literally the equipment, the real estate, everything else that's inside the practice. Um, again, Goodwill is kind of underestimated a lot in that particular one. So we don't necessarily think too, too kindly upon it. Um, and then moving on to the market-based valuation system, that one's roughly about 60, 80% again of revenues and collections. Um, again, it doesn't really break down uh, a lot of other nuances as far as um, it, it breaks it down to a comparable state. So for instance, if somebody is um, in an urban setting versus a rural setting, 
sometimes those don't gel. So you cannot really compare somebody in an urban versus rural just simply based off of demand, you know, because uh, if somebody's in, a, in an urban setting, there's going to be higher demand, higher patient flow and all that stuff as well. So again, not a system that we typically like to work with, but simply it's the income-based uh, practice valuation method that we typically use. Um, and again, from our company, we use a third-party organization called Blue and & Company. And uh, what they do is they do roughly about uh, 30, or excuse me, uh, 300 to 400 evaluations per year. They are one of the top 50 healthcare firms in the nation. So uh, again, third party is very important to us because again, it does it shows that again, it being a broker that we don't have any skin in the game. Yeah. That it, again, that it's a part of of the outside process of of which the valuation is getting done. Now it, it comes out when it comes out. It's a 50 page document. Mm -hmm. it's, it's stacked. It's got everything the bank will need. It's got everything the buyer will need. So it's very important. So once that bank actually reviews it for the buyer, they can put pretty much a rubber stamp on it and say, listen, this is this is it. We can either finance it or we can't based off of this valuation. So um, those are just a couple of nuances. Uh, Bill, you'd like to take it from there? Yeah, no, I think that was a great, uh, a great summary. And I'll just comment on um, what I see is as a result of, um, of DSOs, getting very, very active in the marketplace over the last few years. Um, and they do an analysis based on, on earnings and a multiple of, of, of earnings. What I've seen is that the, the value um, for practices has, has gone up, you know, in terms of the expectations of, of what will be paid for a practice. Because often under the uh, the methodology of of analyzing a practice's earnings and then and then paying a multiple on those earnings, um, it will often drive larger um, sale prices that you know than in the traditional methods. You know, Justin nailed it. You know, for twenty years almost of my career, you know, you could you could look at valuations and and you know basically take a weighted average, like we said, between sixty and eighty percent of the average of the last three years' gross. Usually it's weighted, so they might take like, let's say, three times the most recent year, two times the year before that, one time the year before that, divide by six to get an average and multiply by a, a percentage. And whether you were at the 60% end of things or the 80% would often be driven by the quality and caliber of the practice, uh, how new, how modern, um, fee for service and, and, and more profitable practices um, with, with, let's say, limited insurance, but only higher end insurance might slide more towards that 80%. Practices that had maybe a Medicaid component or, or a lot of insurance or capitation plans might drive more towards that, that lower percent. And, and that was basically, you know, you can predict pretty accurately, even as a non, you know, uh, a non-accountant or, a, yeah. or, you know, you could you could get pretty darn close to to what what would end up coming out in the valuation, and and that's changed a little bit. And and you know people now have to consider that when when they are in a market to buy, they have to consider that they are going up against. So if I'm an individual private buyer, I have to understand that my competition to buy that practice that Justin's marketing. It's not just going to be people like me. It could be a couple of DSOs that are right in buying. And, and, you know, I'm going to be competing against those types of valuations, which, again, tend to push higher. So, um, it, you know, a lot of people um, felt like, um, you know, that COVID must have created uh, uh, an environment that, you know, is, is a, uh, a very buyer-friendly uh, environment. And, and in certain respects, with certain practices, that might be true. But from my experience, it's still a great time to be a seller, mm -hmm. uh, you know, because there's there's not a ton of inventory, um, and uh, pricing has has pushed up in terms of the methodology as a result of DSO's impact in the marketplace. So you know, it's still a great time to be a seller of a, of a, a dental or dental specialty practice, and that's why that's why Justin is so busy. <laughs> One thing I'd like to mention too is, is I get a lot of pushback a lot of times when I sit down with a dentist and I say, well, the first thing that we need to do is evaluation. And they're like, well, listen, I already know what my practice is worth. And I'm like, okay, that's great. So what if we have a buyer that comes in, offers you say X amount of money for that particular practice? What do we know it's actually worth? What, what can we negotiate one way or another? What if we say we want another hundred grand more? What if we say we need, you know, uh, you know, 200 grand more? We just don't know. 
uh, without evaluation to have a, a, you know, a centralized area to bid off of or to basically negotiate off of. And the valuation, like I said, once you get that number on there, it is, it is, uh, it is frontwards and backwards and, and it's justified in every way, shape or form. So uh, it's a very great starting point and wherever it is. And just like anything else, when you get more buyers and, and they're both looking at the same practice, as chances are you can go above that. If you got one buyer, there's some chances that it may go below that. It all depends upon uh, the seller's, you know, characteristics. Do they want to get out of the practice tomorrow? Do they are they willing to wait a year or two to see if they can get a better offer? So all those little details kind of come together. And 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 again, I've gotten to the point where I will not even take on a client unless they do evaluation because again, it makes my job that much harder. So and, and to state it a different way, right? Why wouldn't you do evaluation? Yeah, uh, and, and it's it goes back to the very beginning of our conversation. You know, this is maybe one of the biggest things you're going to do in your life. Maybe you're going to do it once or twice. Mm -hmm. And if a professional is saying to you, hey, it's really important to start with evaluation, you know, why would you push back, right? You know, so maybe you, you don't want to spend a few dollars or whatever it is. I mean, it doesn't make sense. You have to, you, you always have to try to, if you're the doctor, you always have to try to take a step back and and just try to be logical. Like what what makes sense here? This is a big deal. It's something that, you know, again, it's my life's work. I'm a seller. It's my life's work. It's what I put all my energy into. You know, this this is the time to to do it right and take the advice of the professionals and bring the right people on board to guide you through it. Uh, it's not the time to wing it. I mean, it's like literally, you're going to do this once right. in your life and you're going to wing it. That <laughs> doctors are scientists by by definition, right? So when they think about it, this should actually be very logical. You know that. <laughs> That you're, you're a methodical type person right. believe in science. So believe in the science of how to sell the right way and, and follow the advice of, of the, the, the professionals and get the right guidance. And, you, you know, the result and, and where you end up will undoubtedly have been so worth it that, you know, um, and again, it may sound self-serving because this is what we do, but, you know, sincerely, when you just think about it logically, why wouldn't you do it right at this stage of, of, of your career? It's so important. So much is writing on it. And you've invested so much to that point. It just makes, like you said, Bill, I mean, it's just logical when you think about it that way and you lay it out that way. Um, so as, if I'm a practice owner and I've been, like you guys have been, have been telling me to start planning ahead, you know, with a three to five years uh, plan, and I'm looking at my practice and I, with an eye towards selling that practice, what, how do I build as much value into this practice as possible? What are some things that I can start doing? Do I need to start earlier? You, you tell me based on your experience, what are some things that I can start looking at and start working towards so that in three, five years, I am ready and I can get the most out of this, this practice that I've just spent my whole life <laughs> building up. Yeah. One of the things that we do is we have a practice optimizer experience. It's one of these, uh, again, it's a product there I see that we put together that really helps the doctor focus on their future. And within that future is quite a few different things. And again, uh, being that I'm the professional in the broker sense, I will bring in professionals in other areas where it makes sense, aka financial planning, estate planning, uh, uh, for again, uh, dental intelligence for overall review of the practice and how to basically up some of the the metrics uh, that are in there. For instance, maybe I'm not doing endo anymore because I find it a little boring. But if I added this on, I can find you know I can gain another you know two hundred thousand dollars a year. That's a lot. But my point is that there's a, a way to actually increase those revenues. So there's a step by step process that we have that takes about three to five years. Um, and to be honest with you, uh, it does help them in the mentality of understanding uh, what the final end game is, which is obviously that transition. So. Uh, that's one aspect that we do. And then as Bill had mentioned earlier, again, there are, uh, you know, practice management managers that are out there that can really help dentists get to that, that point. And I'll let Bill kind of uh, finish up on that. Uh, which aspect? Uh, the, uh, sorry, practice managers as well. Uh, the dental practice managers that, uh, for instance, like a fortune management that sure, can come sure. in. And exactly. Yep. Yeah, no, I, I think um, when you're trying to optimize and, and prepare, obviously, you, the, the best time to sell any business is when the business is continuing to grow. No question. It hasn't flattened out or even worse yeah. shrinking. Because you're always going to get discounted by anyone who's buying. If you're, if you're 
flat or shrinking, um, you know, that's that's a negative. So you always want to sell while you still can demonstrate that your your best days lie ahead, right? The practice is, is still growing. And that's where I find that, you know, some good practice management consulting, getting the practice ready and, and being transparent. You know, if you talk to a really good consultant and say, hey, look, this is my plan. I'm trying to increase my profitability, uh, my new patient flow, because people, that's another thing that was looked at in due diligence. How many right. new patients are you generating each month? Uh, I mean, Mark, you know, from a marketing standpoint, marketing it's all about new patients, right? Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> exactly. So, so I think that, you know, uh, for example, I'll just give you one example. There's uh, a program out there called uh, Hygiene Mastery, okay? Mm -hmm. And a, a, a hygiene department, a really well-run, in general dentistry, a really well-run hygiene department that, you know, may, let's say ends up being, you know, 30% or, or, or of growth mm -hmm. and is and is very, very uh, profitable and run right. I mean, that's going to that's gonna push money to the bottom line. That's going to increase earnings. That's going to push up a, a purchase price. That's that's just one little example of, you know, of how consulting um, can help. And, and you know, I mean, uh, Justin's got some great information, too, that um, he shared with me not long ago. Obvious things about, you know, sprucing up your practice, its appearance, um, right. you know, the, the caliber and quality of your equipment. You know, I'm not suggesting that in your final years you want to do a complete overhaul and make a huge investment in a location, but you just want to make sure that what you have is attractive to sell. Um, and, and you know, last point I'll make, you know, I, I mentioned leases a couple of times along the way. Obviously, if you own your location, that's even better because it gives you a lot of flexibility, but there can be value, especially depending on your geography and the quality and caliber of your lease. So mm -hmm. if you have a totally assignable lease on very favorable terms that you've negotiated, that becomes an asset. Yeah. Because, you know, someone's going to step into those shoes and they're going to have a favorable deal. That's also going to bring the expenses down, profits up, and, and that's going to impact the bottom line and the value of your practice as well. Where this happens a lot is in city settings. So when, when you're in a city setting where, where there's challenges, landlords can be more, much more difficult. Space is, is harder to come by sometimes for doctors. And if you get a great location, a great space with a favorable lease, let's say you've got a lot of years left on your lease or you've got plenty of options to renew and they're on very favorable financial terms where you can demonstrate that compared to the marketplace around you, your price per square foot, for example, is lower. Mm -hmm. That's an asset. So as you prepare to sell, you know you don't want to go into a sale and say, yeah, I've got six months left on my lease. Go ahead and negotiate a new lease with the landlord. Right. You know, that may work out, it may not. A lot of times landlords look at that as a money grab and, and they know, okay, well, you're desperate to sell. They want to buy. I want to get this lease up to full market value and put mm -hmm. money in my landlord pocket. So leases, very, very important. And also, I think banks uh, banks are very favorable to making sure the lease is at least five to 10 years as well. So that's another good point. So again, if you're going to finance a practice, that uh, that assignment has to be at least five to ten years, or the banks kind of uh, will balk at that as well. They got to make sure their investment is safe. Put it that way. So that's right because they can't risk the fact that let's say you you're a buyer who signs on for a, a ten year loan, ten year term loan to purchase a practice. The bank's going to require that that lease at least have options to renew to survive the whole term of the loan because mm -hmm. they don't want to be in a situation where where you have four or five years left on your loan payment. And a landlord says, oh, I'm not renewing your lease, you know, at the end yeah. of this term. Now, now they're, as, as Justin said, now they're exposed on their loan and that's a huge problem. So they won't even land on it in a situation like that. <laughs> There's so many things, you guys. There's so many, <laughs> so many things you have to consider, you know, as you're, as you're contemplating a, a, a transition like this. Um, well, I just, I just want to, I know we're kind of up against time, but I want to say thank you to both of you for taking the time to, to come on here. I, as a, as a summary, would you say, it sounds like to me, some of the top things that I wrote down, I've been taking notes, this, this whole conversation is okay. You, you got to start with the right team. You got to you plan that you establish your board of directors that can, you know, they're your strategic partners throughout this whole process that can, that have already been 
there and back many times, you know, can tell you exactly what you need to watch out for and how to prepare. And then the other thing that really stood out is just that planning, you know, start now to build that plan and, uh, and then work with your partners to, to make that a reality. Was there, is there anything else that you feel like if, if they don't take away anything from this, this conversation, but those things, what else would you add to that list? I, uh, I'm pretty good. I, I like that. Actually, the way you put that was really good. So, yeah. Yeah, I know. I, I think I look, I think you did a great job, Mark. And, and um, you know, like I said earlier, with each of these little subsets that we talked about, yeah. there's probably a lecture or a program <laughs> or a podcast in, in, in every little one of them because there are so many details. But, you know, jokingly, I say, thank God for that. That's job security for me. Job security. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so true. That is so true. Well, if if listeners are hearing this, and they want to get in touch. They want to learn more about what you guys do. Justin, what's the best way to get in touch with you? And Bill, what's the best way to, to get in touch with you? Great. Yeah, I think simply just go to ddsmatch.com and that's DDS and then M-A-T-C-H.com. Again, and, and we have we have uh, a representative across the nation. So you just select your state and it'll kind of uh, point you in the right direction. I happen to be in, uh, cover the state of New York and then half of uh, Pennsylvania, the Western half uh, as well. So. Yeah, so that's the best way they can get a hold of me. And again, all my contact information's on there and uh, also a neat little uh, uh, headshot of me as well. So there you go. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> and, well, and, and I'm equally easy to get a hold of. Uh, best way often is, is email. Uh, so it's W Barrett, just like my name, W-B-A-R-R-E-T-T. And we are at lawfirm.ms. MS standing for Mandelbaum Salzburg. But, so it's W Barrett at lawfirm. Dot ms. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Well, I, I'll put those up in the show notes if you are both okay with that. Um, so, and then if anyone wants to learn more, they can reach out to you directly. Uh, but uh, thank you. A huge thank you for, for sharing your expertise. Uh, I, I mentioned that, well, we've kind of touched on that, but I, I love your book, Bill. It's, it's so well-written. There's, it's, it's just replete with examples and case studies and just, and I think it's, it makes it so much easier to understand what really we're talking about when you're when you're discussing a, a, a transition like this and how how many different variables and nuances uh, there are when it comes to this. So if you haven't yet, uh, we'll make a plug for Bill's book, Buy, Sell, Merge. Um, I will echo I can, that. In fact, I give it to a lot of my clients as well so they can get an yeah, idea. That's right. the- available, available on Amazon. Amazon. <laughs> I was just going to say, because I think I got it on Amazon, but yes, I grabbed that on Amazon. It is, it is so, so powerful. So Again, gentlemen, thank you so much for for being on the podcast. I'd love to have you back in the future. We have uh, we have ample material to talk about <laughs> based on what we what we touched on today. Uh, but thanks again, you guys. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having us. Hey, my friends! Thank you for joining us today on the show. And if you haven't yet, be sure to check out our website for resources, downloads, and additional information at www.dentalmarketingsecretspodcast.com. Again, that's dentalmarketingsecretspodcast.com. And we'll catch you next time on the show.